Yo, 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 my people. Welcome to another episode of the show, Mind Your Marketing. Today, I sit with Mike Whitmire. He is the CEO and founder of Flowcast, which is an accounting software built by accountants for accountants. We get into a really cool conversation just about you know finding your customers and understanding them at a deep level. They are part of your tribe and you can speak your customer's language, but you'll just be able to connect with them so much deeper and you'll start to win out against the competition. This is a really powerful conversation for anyone who's thinking about starting their own company especially if you're looking to do something that's VC-backed. I'd recommend listening to this. Mike's got just a ton of wisdom he drops in this episode. It was a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. So those are my favorite episodes when I can learn a ton and hopefully pass that on to you all. Anyways, before we get into that, though, I do have to mention this show is brought to you by Our Creative Agency. That is Cave Social. So our company, we help companies grow online with social media. So we create the content, we film videos, take photos, we run the ads, we do all of anything you can think of social media wise, that's what we do. So if you're feeling stuck, or you need help, or you know somebody who needs help on social media, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, book a free consultation, we'd be glad to help you out. Alrighty, without further ado, let's get into this episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today, I am here to welcome Mike Whitmire to the show. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I, I can't complain. So for listeners, Mike is the CEO, co-founder of Flowcast. Before we get into exactly what they're doing, I want to pass the mic over to you and say, you know, tell us your backstory. How did you get to where you're at now? Walk us through those steps and then we'll dig a little deeper. Cool. So yeah, entrepreneur today, but took a bit of a, a strange path to get here. So I actually started my career in accounting. I was an auditor at a public accounting firm by the name of Ernst & Young. So I started working there here in Los Angeles and audited mostly entertainment companies. So a mix of kind of film production, record labels, TV studios as well. That was fun and all, but three and a half, four years into it, I decided to leave audit and move into corporate accounting at a, at, a, at a company. So for those who don't know the accounting world really well, there are these auditors who go into your company and they audit all your books and they're a huge pain in the ass and it really sucks when that's going down. Then there's the corporate accounting side, which is inside of your company, the actual accountants who are doing all the work and making sure you get paid. So the corporate accounting world is what I moved into afterwards. And that was super interesting for me because I landed at a, a pre-IPO software company by the name of Cornerstone On Demand. I was the fifth accountant hired into that company, roughly 100 employees when I started. And we had uh, IPO plans on the horizon. So during the interview, that was super appealing to me to get to go through a, an IPO process, see what that's like and help scale a, a company and an accounting organization. So I was there for about four years. Also, we scaled the team from five to about 50, um, had a great IPO. We you know, went international, got bigger, went from we're about 40 million of revenue when I joined to about 300 by the time I left. And it was a lot of fun. But one of the things that we had going on behind the scenes was it was very difficult to collaborate around the month end close process. And that process is actually incredibly important to a business and has been underserved for ever. So there's really like no way to manage 50 people working together to try to achieve one goal, which is to issue financial statements. And to me, that just came across as kind of absurd once I realized <laughs> that this problem existed. You know, it was one of those classic, like everyone's just been doing it this way. It's how it's done. And it just is what it is. And then I was actually 
the revenue guy on the accounting team specifically. And so I was using Salesforce all the time. And my thought was sort of like, okay, well, sales has a tool to manage their sales team. They understand where they are with numbers. It's going to help them forecast. Why doesn't accounting have something that helps us collaborate, keep us on track? Sales has a number they have to hit. Accounting has a date that we have to hit. There is a deadline and those deadlines don't change. Like in the way that sales cannot miss a number, accounting cannot miss a deadline. And it's just super important. So it boggled my mind that we had nothing to do that. It was a bunch of status update meetings, just completely manual processes. And so picked my head up and thought, you know, very classic moment. I snapped in the middle of a status update meeting and was like, why isn't there a better way to do this? Looked around, didn't see anything really good in the market that made sense for my company, which was a mid-market, high-growth software as a service company. And so I decided to leave my job in accounting and start working on Flowcast. That was in 2013. Fast forward to today, we have about 200 employees, about a thousand companies on Flowcast, and we raised uh, VC back. So we raised close to 100 million in funding and yeah, headquartered here in Los Angeles. It's been a very fun ride for sure. Beautiful. Talk to me about, okay, so you have that aha moment, right? Hey, why isn't this problem being fixed? Okay, we could do that. Did you start working on Flowcast as a side hustle? Did you say, okay, I need to quit my job and go all in? What did that look like? I quit and launched into it full time. Um, It's a scary thing to do for sure. But I I was in a fortunate situation. So I had gone to Cornerstone. I got a small amount of equity, you know, and I'm I'm comfortable discussing numbers and everything here. So got a small grant as a senior accountant. We went public. I sold those shares to start Flowcast. And that was about $20,000 worth of equity. And it wasn't to like invest in the company or anything like that. It was to pay the bills while I was trying to get this, get this off the ground. And I also had another thing going for me, which is that my wife was working and she was in sales and was doing very well at the time. So when I quit, it was sort of like we went from this mode of being really fiscally responsible, saving for retirement, all this kind of stuff to, all right, we're paycheck to paycheck. That's great for right now. And we're trying to work on, you know, building a company in the background. She was super supportive of that. And so I jumped full time and gave myself a deadline and was like, Hey, if you don't make it happen by this day, we're going to not have enough money to live the rest of our lives. So go do that. And it was a great, it's like the pressure cooker makes you get stuff done. The whole side hustle. I get it. A lot of people have to do it, but it just doesn't create the fire in the same way that not having a paycheck creates the fire. I hear you. And you actually touched on the next question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, my experience when meeting accountants, they're usually very highly risk averse and have the plan and like, okay, I'm going to have this investment and retire by this date. And it's very structured, right? So did you have that going on? And then talk to me about that struggle of like, because you also have the entrepreneur inside of you, which is like, I need to solve this problem. And I need to like, I need to run towards this problem and solve it. Um, Was that a battle going back and forth, like internally? Were you questioning yourself a lot in those early times? I guess I'm a weird mix of, yeah, trying to be somewhat fiscally responsible, but also have the entrepreneur uh, gene in me. So yeah, I've always wanted to start my own company. This has been a, I was a classic kid, you know, little hustles growing up in college, had little funny ways of making money, had some ridiculous things I did in college and just sort of always knew I'd land in this, in this field. But for some reason, accounting really appealed to me at business school. I was good at it, made sense. I thought it was really interesting how much you learn about how a business actually runs through the numbers. And that's a really underappreciated component of accounting is how much you learn about business through the numbers that go into building your financial statements. Um, so I'm like, like I said, somewhat fiscally responsible. I think about the future for sure. I want to save, but also I'm like, man, if it makes sense to spend some money here, let's do it. And I have no problem doing that. Um, and my logic was 
I can always get a job in accounting. Right. It's a feel I can always go be an accounting manager. So let's take six months, see if we can make this work. And, you know, I think I have a great idea. The time feels right. It's just Ah, like my gut was like, give it a shot. This is the one. And it was really interesting. Actually, there was this total mindset change. I've always had ideas like, oh, this would be a cool idea. This would be a cool idea. And this was the first one that was actually a B2B idea, which I found really fascinating. Then it happened to be in my space, like right in my wheelhouse, something I know really, really well. Um, and I actually got super passionate about it. And this weird thing happened in my, my mindset where I just stopped having new ideas for companies. It was like something clicked and I got into execution mode. And to this day, I like still don't have those other creative ideas. It's the oddest thing. I can't really explain why, but yeah, it just sort of happened. I love it when you hone in, right? And you're like, okay, now this is the problem I'm solving. How do I solve it better? How do I wake up every day and solve it better? That That's so important. And one of the things that I'm going to assume helped you, because you, you talked about it a, a little bit there, is like when you come from the accounting world and then you're starting to go and get VC money and they want to know like, Okay, how many months to profitability? How what is the the burn rate? You're going to be more equipped than most founders I've spoken to to be like, okay, here's our exact burn rate. Here's the exact like our projections on month to profitability. Was that did any of the VCs when you're going around and doing that raise did those comments ever come up like, well, you're you guys know your numbers? Cuz I assume that you, yeah. you could have been on top of it. For sure. And I thought I thought it was normal, actually. You know, I kind of when I started this, I was like, oh, every founder knows what their numbers are. That makes sense. I came to realize that's not the case. A lot of founders are salespeople, they're product people, they couldn't care less about finances. They hire some outsourced accounting and finance person. They give them quarterly reports on this is how much money you have. And I'm I'm sitting there, <clears throat> the way I forecasted up front, I had the workbook. I owned it. Every single day I would punch in when I would spend cash in the future, like literally when the cash was going out the door to the week. And I knew exactly what my zero cash day was. I and, you know, I've learned a whole lot about how you pitch numbers and fight and all that stuff over the years. I would say I was almost too buttoned up early on. Because there's just not enough history and people are like, oh, those are your, you think those are your metrics, blah, blah, blah. And then the other part of me is I'm the auditor. I know that, or at least I assumed that when going through due diligence, all the assumptions that you have going into a revenue forecast are going to be heavily scrutinized. And so I was very realistic with it and was like, what might we actually do? And I was thinking, if I came in here and audited this workbook, how much would I beat it up and what I believe in these assumptions? And so I put that out there, which presents very underwhelming, but achievable numbers when you do it that way. I literally had a VC who was like, love your product, love the space, ready to give you a term sheet. If you can just jack these numbers up by 3x, I'll be able to get the rest of my partners on board. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> we can jack it up by 3x. But what's going to happen is we're not going to hit that number. Everyone's going to be disappointed with the investment. And we're going to start off on a really negative note here. Like you just we have to be on board with the fact that I am pretty conservative with this stuff. And as a result, accurate is what it ends up being. And so um, yeah, that knowledge around numbers was really important. And I realized that as time goes on, as time has gone on with funding, I've actually presented less numbers and have started to talk more about the story and vision and pitch and started to act more like a salesperson than an accountant, I would say. And then you have the numbers as backup. And I think it gets disturbing when the VC's like, what's your acquisition cost? What's your payback period? What's your gross margin on this? How do you segment? Like, what other efficiency unit economics do you look like? Like, we've invented our own 
unit economics internally at Flowcast. And it's just like we have smarter ways to run the business than I think a lot of other things that people are doing. And so, yeah, like we don't have a CFO today, right? We're 200 employees. We've raised close to 100 million in funding and I've done it all without a CFO. Just I like don't need it (laughs) right now. Yeah, right. No, I love it. And I think you said something important there too, especially for founders and people who are listening who want to get into that VC world on there's going to be that pressure to jack up your numbers, right? But that's going to lead to future down rounds. At least in my experience, watching people go, then they have to do down rounds as they go for those future raises. It ends up hurting them, right? Or this unsurmounting pressure to hit goals that are just so lofty. So I do love I love the pragmatism because I think that that's been missing a lot from the tech world, honestly. And I think we're moving more towards that now of like, okay, what is the road to profitability? And when is this product going to start making money? Because we all see like with the economy going up and down and all these things like, okay, this is a fundamental part of business, right? This thing has to make money one day. It can't just be constantly in a, yeah. constantly in a hey, we want users phase. So I think that's so important. Now, the next thing I want to get into is your tagline, it's like, you know, made by accountants for accountants, right? And I love that because it penetrates right through to that user group. Now, that segment, that customer, right, is so tapped in with numbers and how is this going to affect their business's bottom line, right? How do you weigh the impact of storytelling in your marketing versus or in combination with this is how much it costs and how much it saves you? Or is that the story? Yeah, well, we definitely don't win on price. We're not a price leader. And part of part of me, just a general entrepreneur philosophy is I never want to start a business where I win on price. That's just like, oh, I hate that, right? <laughs> just something about it <laughs> bugs me. Um, so the storytelling is, is very important. But I think what's most important about the story is that it's backed up by the product and the service that we provide. So it's while we're by accounts for accounts, and that's the starting point for the narrative, what that's resulted in is a product that fits their needs, is really fast to implement, actually gets adopted because we know how we work in the trenches every day. So the product gets adopted. And then we have a bunch of accounts who provide support on the back end. And so it ends up like that message is very important. It resonates really well, but it's proven by the product and the support, which is what's most important in the industry. Accounts love buying from accounts and there aren't many people who have started companies. You know, it's like our people and accounts generally are not the biggest fans of salespeople either. So buying from them isn't all that fun. You know, you have, I remember listening to sales pitches when I was doing this stuff and it's just borderline offensive to have some rep tell me, how I can do a better job at my job that I've spent years studying for, pass a CPA exam, work more hours in a year than you probably do in three years. Like, shut up, dude. Don't tell. Don't right. try to tell me how to do well, my that's job. That's the thing, right? You speak. It's so important. And this is the authenticity to it where you speak the language of the people you're selling to. Salespeople at software are taught how to sell certain pieces of software. They're not taught about the intricacies and why, right? So that's so important is you're, laser, you're a sniper, right? You're focused on what is my audience and how can I serve them? And you know the shit. Yeah. That's where I'm getting jacked up over here on the other side of the mic. I'm like, that is so powerful, right? Because you, like you said, people are weary of salespeople. But if you come in and you're like, or anyone on your team, like, hey, I have a CPA. I understand these pain points. Very, I can talk to you at a high level because you're a high level professional and you don't need it dumbed down and fluffy. You need like, how is this really going to help, right? Um, that becomes so important. And I it's think also that's- another, no, just another thing that's we don't 
talk about a lot with investors, I guess, and this is super interesting to me, is we slash I have such a good understanding of the personas that we target that we're able to target in just a hyper-efficient way. Like, you know, a lot of companies, they go, oh, we have a great ideal client profile. It's anyone from 500 to a billion in revenue, and we target the CFO and the controller, and there you go. It's like, okay, that is, that's a profile, but here's how much we can do because we understand the accountant. I know that we're not going to be able to sell to four. So like thinking back to 2015, right? We had a very early rudimentary product. And so we go, okay, who's going to take a risk on us? Probably an early stage company where they just had someone take a risk on them. Great. So we'll target them. So we got the, what's called the JMP hot 100 list, which is the fastest growing SaaS companies according to JMP. So we got three years worth of that. 300 startup companies that are in growth mode and are just going to be great fits for us in terms of taking a risk on it, like willing to take a call with us. Nike's not going to take a call with us. Twilio at the time was 12 people in accounting and was willing to take a call from us, right? So that's worked out very well for us. They've grown, they've scaled on Flowcast and they're a huge logo for us now. So we get this list of 300 and then we're talking about who to target. And I told the team that specifically within that group of 300, what we should look for is a controller or an accounting manager who within the last year has left big four audit. And that is because when you go from big four audit into the startup world, you are hit with this whoa, like what is going on? There's no organization here. How am I supposed to do my job? You just go from this, you know, EY is a 100,000 employee buttoned up huge organization and you just plop down and you're a cog in the machine. They're like, here's your workflow. Literally, there's this thing called Sally. Just do it the same as last year. Like it's it's an acronym that's used <laughs> so frequently. When you get into accounting, there's none of that. Nothing's written down. So you're just like, uh, what's going on? Welcome aboard. And then we magically hit you with an email about, hey, would you like a solution that helps you get as organized as you were in the audit world, helps your team onboard, you understand where you're at with things and you know when you're going to hit your deadlines. That's all of a sudden very appealing to them when they're in the middle of this difficult transition. And so you know, from there, we were able to get to a list of like, 180 people that were just ideal, ideal, ideal client profile. And that has worked out really well for us. It's amazing. And it's two things there that I think are that are really smart for people listening to take away. One, if you're a small company looking to companies that are also your size as potential clients, it's like, I always go, in my head, companies are like kids. It's like one-year-olds hang out with one-year-olds and 10-year-olds hang out with 10-year-olds a lot of time, right? And if you go that Nike is a 50-year-old, right? And we're the same way. We're a digital agency, right? And I look at it. We have seven employees. We match really well with startups. And it's so like that just rung such a bell with me on like, okay, startups who are going, that's where we match and we can get in because we can move fast and break shit with them, right? But when we get into like a Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 company, a lot of times like creativity suffocated, it's super bureaucratic, and we actually don't enjoy it nearly as much either. We want to be a little more fast and loose, right? So I think that one that's, is- And that's very important, deciding who you don't want to work with. Yeah, because you take the big name but and you're like- A big- <laughs> You take the big name and you're like, oh, this is oh, going to look great. We have a history of saying no to big names. There have been, there, I, I guess <laughs> I'll, I'll leave them. One of the fangs was looking at us and we said no because of the customization requests, which- at the time when we had $200,000 in recurring revenue and their contract would have been like 10 times our total business recurring revenue. It's like, okay, this is, this is pretty interesting. But then we'd be just a dev shop for that company because we'd always be, you know, they'd be like, do this and we'd you know, jump and we'd say how high kind of deal. So we, we've taken a firm stance against customizing our software for anyone. 
that also with that, right, there is something to be said about client saturation, which I didn't know about until like 2016, we had our first thing where we had a fortune 500 that was 65% of our book, right? And then what happens is we got caught in that loop where, oh, we're the marketing department for this big company. Great. Then we scale up, but then they cut their budget. And now my business was dependent on their business. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to be in this situation again. And because yeah. to, it, to that where you're like, oh, somebody else's profit, how they operate their shop is going to make or break my business. And I just was like, the you know, the fireworks went off at that time of like, never again. And that sounds like you guys were smart and not taking that on beforehand. Yeah. And this is goes back to audit, right? This is really interesting. I've done enough or I've audited enough financial statements where the idea of concentration of risk is super important and it's discussed heavily inside of uh, management discussion and analysis. <clears throat> and so, yeah, part of it was like, I want to avoid concentration of risk. And we're at a point where literally out of a thousand customers, we could, our top 50 could churn, which would be horrible if we lost our top 50 clients, we would be fine right. as a business. You know, that's, it would suck. I'd be really bummed, but we would be fine. That's that point of, you know, getting to like the stage where you're bulletproof in the sense of like, you'll always live to fight another day. And that to me is like, I talked to up and coming entrepreneurs and I was speaking with a lady yesterday and she was struggling. And I said, just figure out a way to op be operating tomorrow right now. Like you need to have a way to continue operating and a path to continue operating because that is the biggest thing is, and, and you know, you're at that stage and that's amazing. The other thing I did want to, to yeah, pull out it's so too. so I will say it's very business specific. Right, 100%. The other thing I did want to pull out too, which is really tapping in to the psychographics and going one step further than, oh, we're targeting a person at a company this size, right? Looking at that one thing removed, you guys did, it's very important. Look at someone who's went from big four accounting to startup. And you look at that, that now because you have identified that persona's pain points so specifically that you're not going to be a choice for a solution, you're going to become the choice. I think that is so important to flip that is if you look at anyone listening, if you look at your business, how do you go from a choice to the choice? And it's by getting super specific, in my opinion. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I would say it's that and building your brand, like the power of brand can't be understated. It's something as an accountant that I'm learning all about. And we've naturally positioned ourselves really well to execute on our brand where it's very fortunate where we've kind of landed with that. In our space, we have one main competitor. It's a really fascinating world in that it's pretty simple. We have one big company out there. They're public. They're coming down into our market. We're heading up into their market and we're competing against them. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's amazing how much brand comes into it. You know, their main pitch is we've been doing this for 20 years. There are 3000 companies on Blackline. There are 200,000 users on this. Why would you ever consider Flowcast? And so they just drop the Gardner Magic Quadrant, all this kind of stuff. That's what gets dropped. Meanwhile, we're coming in with, we're cool. We're the startup. We're doing things new, different. We're buy accounts, for accounts. We get how you guys work. That's why it's implemented quickly and adopted. It's just a very different approach to it and working hard on doubling down on that because I think it's really powerful. It is. It is powerful. And you look at how you hit people with certain messaging matters, right? Like I'm moving at the end of the year, for instance, my company from, and this is a very small cost switch, but moving from Intuit payroll to Gusto, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got into it's been there a million years has everything, but heaven forbid, I want to get a customer service rep on the phone. So it's like, that to me is the lucrative thing. I'll pay more to Gusto because I'm like, oh, I know that if I have to send you a request or I have an issue, I'm going to talk to a human relatively soon. 
And that to me is like what I want to pay for as, you know, a small business owner. So it's interesting, like those power of brand. Yeah. And to call back to the whole idea of being built by accounts for accounts that then really manifests itself in the software and the service. I could not agree more. And one of the things we say at Flowcast is we are a SaaS company. SaaS stands for software as a service. Like we put the software and the service into SaaS. The service component is forgotten about and just viewed as a hit to gross margin at way too many companies. All it is, is it's thought of as a knock to gross margin when in my opinion, it's completely different than that. It's a revenue accelerator. It's just so silly to me. It's crazy. People who think about it like, oh, okay, they're in transaction. Great. And it's like, no, customer service is how you turn people into brand ambassadors and brand champions. And what I think is missing from so many sales departments and company messages is like, oh, if you go talk to one accountant who's at a startup, who do you think they hang out with? Who do you think that they're in networking groups with? Uh, Other potential customers. And it's like, if you give them service is good. It's like they're going to sing those praises because so many companies are giving shitty customer service and a shitty experience. So it's like you just come in and give a little bit more, like a 2% more, and suddenly you're the hero. And I think that is so, so powerful. And like back to knowing the market, I know almost every field, it's the most powerful lead is a referral, right? But in accounting specifically, there's so much natural skepticism with an accountant that hearing about something from your friend is just so much more powerful than getting an ad or seeing, getting a cold email or anything like that is just so, yeah, cannot be understated. I, I totally agree. Amazing. Well, Mike, I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Before I let you go, let people know where they can learn more about Flowcast and connect with you online. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, feel free to connect with me, follow. I post a podcast as well called Blood, Sweat and Balance Sheets. And then have actually written a book. If you want to learn more about accounting profession and building your career, it's called The Controller's Code. And Flowcast, we have that one of those funky spelling names. So it's uh, you can check out the website. It's F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. The domain was too expensive when we founded the company, so we got a queue in it now. So yeah, that's uh, just where to learn more about the product and the company. Amazing. And I'll put links to all of those, Mike's book, the website, and his LinkedIn in the show notes. So wherever you're listening, just go click that link, head over and connect with Mike, learn more about Flowcast. Mike, thanks again for coming on today. I appreciate it. Awesome, Jordan. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.